0: This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit RedemptionAZ.com. Like we've been walking through the book of Ephesians and it's, it's been a journey and God has been just doing so much and showing us what it looked like, um, inviting the the Ephesians, into the Gospels, these Gentiles, and and, and, and Paul as he is discipling them. And we've been at this section where the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at Paul as he's been encouraging the Ephesians regarding maturity. So a couple of weeks ago, I had a brother... Jenga, he came up, we would just be having some different voices come up here and share. And Brother Jenga, he came up here and he, it, was, it was a blessing, right? If you he was here, you know what I'm talking about. It was really a blessing to the body, a blessing to the soul as he um, connected it to his contact as a, as a Kenyan and, and, and used things that was um, relatable to, to where he comes from. And, and walking through the text that he was covering, he pointed out how, how God gave the body diverse people with diverse gifts to work together in unity and, and, and Jenga used this, this, this thing that was a, a slogan from where he came from and it says, I am who I am because of who we are. And I love that because it, it, it highlights this reality that when you're living life together with a community of people, we influence one another who we are, and, and, and who I become is because, man, I've learned some from you, and I've learned some from you, and I, I've seen God through 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 him and through her and, and through, through the little ones and through the older ones, people that are like me, people that are not like me, and, and, and I am who I am because of who we are. And it was beautiful. And it's awesome because this is where he came out of talking about Maturity inside of the church. And then last week, we had um, Brother John, the Husay, who came, and he, he preached to us. And that, man, that was incredible. It was incredible because as we continued this conversation about maturity, he pointed out how God himself is love. And he pours himself into us as the love that binds these diverse people and gifts together and how all the pieces of this body, when properly functioning together, builds the body up in love. And that's, that's huge. And you're still talking about maturity. And the thing that really stands out here that's really interesting to me is as Paul is encouraging them um, in maturity... One of the things that um, he, he points out, is this, this vision of maturity is, is opposite of the vision of maturity offered to us through Western culture. Here's why I, why I say that. You see, here in the West, here in the States, a lot of times when we think about maturity, what we do is we think about Independence. Like, like when I get to that point in life where I don't need to depend on on anybody, I pull myself up by my own bootstraps. As a teenager, I can't wait till I get out of the house and I don't need to depend on my parents anymore. That's when I'll be mature. I don't need to ask anybody for help. I don't need to lean on my brother. I don't need to lean on my sister. I've arrived to this place where I'm totally independent. I'm handling things myself and now I feel like I'm a grown man. Now I, I feel mature because I don't need others. When I engage others, it's just because I want to. But I don't actually need them. I am self-sufficient. So I start to feel this level of maturity. And, and this, is, this is like the culture out here. But Paul is talking to them. And, and you see inside of the Bible, as he's talking to them about maturity, Independence wouldn't be the word that you would use to describe how he's, he's saying maturity because he's talking about all these people together. The word he would use instead is interdependence. A place where there are people that are mutually dependent on one another in the process of maturing into who God wants us to be. And he's he's helping them to understand what maturity looks like, how the process of maturity really is. Describes this reality where real maturity realizes I cannot get there on my own. I can't get there on my own, I don't have all the gifts. I don't have all the gifts, and and you're walking through, and and, and he's pointing out that he diversely gave these gifts out to everybody. So, So there is nobody that has all the gifts except Christ, right? Nobody. Nobody has all the gifts except Christ. And the gifts are diversely distributed to the saints. See, nobody has all the gifts, but... When I'm connected to the body where the gifts are diversely distributed for the mission and upbuild of the church and the kingdom as a connected part of the body, I now have access to all the gifts, man. I may not have that gift, but he does and she does and we function together as a body and we grow together into maturity. He paints this picture of maturity where tossed to and fro by the, by the waves of life and carried about by every wind of doctrine and this is only developed through the interdependence of the diverse people and giftings of the body properly working together. That's the only way this happens. The diverse giftings people's Drawing together, properly working together. See, the problem is that when you don't have that functioning inside the church, which is a huge big deal here in the West, the church at large. When you don't have that functioning, what ends up happening, you have the church growing Deformed. You have this deformed version of what the church looks like, because there are parts and members of the body that aren't lifted up to function the way that they need to function, and then, depending on one another, and you have certain parts saying, "I got this, I don't need you." Or saying, "They don't need me so I won't plug in." He paints this picture of maturity. And all this time, continuing to paint this, this picture from chapters 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3. That, and he's walking through the, with, the, with these Gentiles and he's teaching them the, the deepness of what God has been doing from the beginning of time. And now he gets really practical about what it takes for that to happen. See, he gives the big picture the the worldview, the, the grand narrative of the gospel. And now he starts to zoom into exactly where you are at in this big picture. And what it takes for you to get in sync with the, the grand narrative of the gospel. You see, oftentimes we can just paint this, these pictures, these beautiful pictures, but don't land it to the ground where we're at. And, and people don't know what it looks like to practically walk it out in their particular context. like man that that's i love the picture it's beautiful it's good but they have no idea how to live into the picture because we don't bring it bring it down to ground level where 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 the the rubber meets the road what this actually looks like they don't know how to get this so there remains a disconnect from from the library of info that they have read and heard in the reality of their hearts and life. So Paul, after painting this this huge picture, now he's starting to get he's starting to narrow in and get specific and what I want to do is I want to set up what the the next Six sermons are going to look like. You see, for the next six sermons, including today, we'll walk with Paul as he talks about the intentionality of living into this. He's going to be saying stuff like, be intentional to to put off this and be intentional to put on that. So, Today, I just want to sort of prep you for what this is going to look like. Like, this is going to be like a mini six-sermon series within a series about intentionality. We're walking this thing out, but Paul is, is, is zooming in, and he's being intentional. He want to slow it down. He's going to talk about being intentional with, with specific things that I think are important for the body and the upgrowth of the body. And even as we do this, the way this this thing's gonna look, Pastor Aaron and myself, what we're gonna do? We're gonna preach the majority of these six sermons together for specific reasons. Like, you see, as you guys know, both me and Pastor Aaron, we come from two opposite sides of the spectrum, but yet we're called together. By the same one truth, not two different truths. So in the midst of that, we acknowledge that that when 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 different people are, are called together, when they're called into life together, when different people are brought together, whether it's be husbands and wife, whether it's be families, whether it's different on people, groups, men and women, different ethnic groups, when they are drawn together called to walk out the same truth, sometimes it may look different given the particular context. Like, for example, if you have two different people that are at odds with one another, but you give them the same truth, walk in love. For one, walking in love may look like repenting, For the other, the same instruction of walking in love may look like forgiving. So what we want to try to do is sort of try to capture two different sides of this this table so that we can at times speak to the body as the whole and at times speak specifically to certain areas of the body. Like, what does it look like? What does it specifically mean when these instructions are given to men, when these instructions are given to women, when these things are given to those of dominant culture, when these things are given to those of sub-dominant culture? What does this specificity look like walked into, not just guessing, but how do we be real and specific? And the reason why this is needed because Even though we see the start of this in Scripture where you see the gospel bringing different people together. And you see this as we go through Ephesians. These these Gentiles are now being included into the story. And you saw it back in the Acts. Even though we see this, we never see this point in time where it's fully realized. We only get a glimpse of the future realization in Revelations. You see Paul talking about it throughout Ephesians. You see him confronting it throughout the rest of his epistles. Even in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are writing about the same events but tailoring it to specific groups of people dictating what they will include and what they will leave out. And then here, here in the West, here in the States, we've never even come close to seeing what it looks like for the church to be fully united in the midst of diversity. But we see in revelations, right, that we will get there. So in the meanwhile, in order to get there, it takes speaking to the body as a whole and speaking specifically to individual members of the body, specifically. So most of this time, you're going to see me and Pastor Aaron doing just that, coming at it together because the body calls us together and in the midst of it, going in specific directions. You feel me? So that's what this series, within a series, is going to look like. That being said, let me... Continue to set this series up by going to our scripture. If you'll stand with me, let's kick it off by reading Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And it reads like this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. that You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. Father, we thank you for your word that you would see fit, that we would have it even today to study it, to look inside of it, and to hear what you would speak to our hearts, Lord. So we pray and ask that you will plant your truths deep into the depths of our souls and of our hearts and that you will cause it to bear fruit, much fruit, for your kingdom in Jesus' name. And the church says, amen. You may be seated. Let me hurry up. Let me start off by saying, doing nothing is never enough. Okay, I got to try this. I never tried this before. Turn to your neighbor and say, doing nothing is never enough. <laughs> All right, after that, they say, now turn to your other neighbor and say, doing nothing. <laughs> I just never tried it before. <laughs> but doing nothing is never enough. I don't know how many times when I have to check myself, my own heart, or I am talking to people that are at odds with one another. I'm talking to, to couples that are going through things and, 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 and there's been some long underlining things. And, and, then, and then one person says, listen, but I didn't even do anything wrong. I didn't do anything. And they keep going, I, didn't, I don't know. I didn't even do anything. I didn't do anything. I'm talking to parents. They're talking to their kids. And, and I'm hearing, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything wrong. And I'm like, all right, I get it. You're telling me you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't do anything. I get it. But here's what I want to know. What did you intentionally do? That's right. I get it, you didn't do anything wrong. But did you do anything right intentionally? Because doing nothing is not enough. You see, when we aren't intentional about doing what's right, we ignorantly do what's wrong just naturally. And sometimes we don't even realize how we do it. We may even just create an atmosphere of it. But I guess... The best way to, for me to, to make this example is to is to think my, my first car, right? Like, anybody inside, inside ever had a car where the alignment was off? I'm going to say a show of hands. You have, a, you have a car, the alignment's all right. Well, this will make sense to most people, right? If you, your whole life, have just been so blessed to never drive a car with its alignments off, and stuff, one of the people that raised their hands will share with you, right? But, and some people don't even know that their alignment is off, right? Because, like, I got my first car. I had no. I thought this, all cars did this. So here's the test. You're driving on the road. Do this where it's safe, right? So you're driving on the road, and if you want to test that the alignment is off, Take your hands off the steering wheel. You take your hands off the steering wheel. Listen, don't be doing like 90 and stuff, right? Man, I'm not even sure if I should tell you guys to do this, but (laughs) the pastor said. But take your hands off the steering wheel, right? And when you take your hands off the steering wheel, if the alignment is on, it'll just keep going straight. But if the alignment is off, it'll start to veer off track. It'll... You don't have to do anything. Listen, get me. By doing nothing, it just veers off track. You have to be intentional to keep it straight. That's where the intentionality is at. But I didn't do anything. Oh, and it just naturally veers off track. What I'm saying here is that the alignments of our hearts are off. And we'll naturally do wrong. So we have to be intentional with doing what's right. It it requires no intentionality. Like you could just like not be doing anything wrong Well, not think you're doing anything wrong and, and still offend somebody and still hurt somebody and have no idea because the alignment of your heart is, 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 is off and there's things that we do and we, we are so steeped in our wrongness, there's levels of wrongness that just seem right to us because we have no idea how far down it goes. So we have to be intentional to do what's right. When you have, we have to be intentional to to, with living into this, right? And here's some specific things when people are, are called together in life. Like you have to be intentional with living into this and welcoming the other, or there will be natural things that are off putting and hindering to the growth and the maturity on both ends. Like, you won't realize the thing that you do that make other people feel looked over, unwanted, unwelcome, like, basically not a part of your maturity process. Because you're not intentional. And you didn't realize, but I wasn't doing anything wrong. So the body grows and it grows deformed because we we make up for the lack with self. That's why we, we push people to, 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 to come out of their comfort zones and, and, and walk in it with us. Don't just check out. To be intentional, to invite people over and actually get to know the person and the stories. And it's hard to dismiss people when you actually have a relationship. That's why we're doing these book clubs so that we can walk through these things together and talk about these tough things and have a diverse discussion where a family can discuss real things together because this is a family issue and it doesn't get fixed by people handling it in their separate corners. Because that doesn't teach you how to live together. That's why we're pushing and we're encouraging people, man, Do some of these book clubs with us and read with us and and talk with us and, and fellowship with us and eat with us so that we can be the light to the nations that we've called to be, not the deformed version of what people see today. Paul discerns this so he instructs with specific directions of intentionality. Not just staying up here. He gives these specific intentions of intentionality. And and in 17, he says, you must no longer walk as Gentiles do. Now, what is he saying here? He's just spent all this time affirming their predestined part in the grand narrative of the gospel as a people group and then tells them no longer walk as the people group God has made you a part of. What is he saying here? Like just like imagine this, walk with me. Imagine you've been going to this church, you saw a feeling it, I'm liking it. Oh man, it's dope. And then like I go through membership class and 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 and, and you are um you're Hispanic, right? And then the, and the, and the pastor says, oh, man, that's dope. I'm glad you went through a membership class. Now, I just want you to no longer walk like Hispanics do, okay? Oh, 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 oh you are African American. And then at the end, it, he says, no longer walk as African Americans do. Or oh, 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 you're Asian, Asian American, no longer walk as Asians do. No longer walk as women do. No longer walk as men do. No, and, he, and he says this thing, it would feel so awkward. Like, what? But he's telling them this. I just built you up, but now I'm say, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Is he saying you now lose your ethnic identity or cultural distinctiveness? No. See in verse 19 he he describes a culture of sin that's indicative of the gentiles. You see every single culture on this planet that's centered around a group of people has cultural norms that are rooted in sin. That is members of the kingdom of God we have to be intentional to no longer walk in every single one. Why? Because the hearts of men are broken. So every single group, every single cultural group that you will, that you will look at to and go to, they have these cultural norms about the group that are just straight up and down rooted in sin. And a lot of times we just try to... We try to hold on to it or we try to justify it or we try to make light of these sinful cultural norms because we've accepted and adopted them as a part of our identity as a people group. And I could go on example after example after example of like that. I get it, dude. You're trying to say, no, no, that's just how we do. I'm like, no, that's just sin. But we made it a a us thing. We've adopted sin as our identity, and you, we have no I, idea how deep that goes. So no, he's not saying you lose your your ethnic identity and cultural distinctness. But instead, your culture is no longer solely centered around you as a group of people, but in in, in the sins that are indicative of of that people. But The kingdom of God and the uniqueness of that group is a way that you will uniquely display the culture of the kingdom of God, forsaking the cultural norms rooted in sin that you are being brought out of. There's something different that's going on here. You're being invited into a different culture, a kingdom culture that embodies all these other cultures, but the only things it embodies are the things that are of God. So regardless of what cultural group you're in, political group you identify with, regardless with whatever it is, God calls us to check the cultural norms that are rooted in sin at the door. Things that we think are part of our identity. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Man, I hope that we sit down and actually think about this. Because it goes deep. And I don't have no time to go into how deep it goes. Not even a little bit of it. But he describes a culture of sin that the Gentiles was walking in. And he describes it under the category of the futility of their minds. Now this is important here. You see... I will put put slides up, but our slides thing ain't working, so. Sorry, slides picture taker people. Listen, if you are not intentional to surrender your mind to be renewed by the Spirit of God constantly, then the logic of your mind will constantly remain futile. Understand this, if you are not over and over and over again, constantly surrendering your your heart and your mind to be renewed by the Spirit of God, then the logic that you will come up with, it'll make sense, it'll add up, it'll seem to check off everything that you think that, that makes sense, but it's not rooted in the kingdom of God, so it's useless to the grand scheme of things, it's futile. I don't care what it is, I don't care... Where it connects to. only the things rooted and grounded in the kingdom of God make it into eternity. Everything else will pass away. Thus it's futile and useless if it's not rooted in the kingdom of God. Listen, if your logic is rooted in you as a man, that's where it's rooted at? It's futile. It needs to be rooted in the kingdom of God and then dictating how you walk as a man. If your logic is rooted in you as a black person in in America, dude, it's futile. It needs to be rooted in the kingdom of God causing you to think about how you live as a black man in America now you could apply that in every single thing if your logic is rooted in you as a particular political group it's futile but if it's rooted in the kingdom of God it dictates how you function as a member of that particular group anything else is futile But the thing is, we live in a culture where walking in the futility of our minds is championed as good. You do you. What's right for you, you just go ahead and do it. If it makes sense to you, I don't care if it's futile. But you feel really, really good. And you look for all the safe places where nobody would challenge you. No one would let you know. So we can all just do the wrong things. He says here walking in the futility of your mind, alienates you from the life of God. See, you're included in the life and kingdom of God with all of the saints of God, but but you alienate yourself from his life and kingdom when you choose to walk in the futility of your own logic, of your own mind. You constantly alienate yourself from this life. It's life of God. When you are in sync with the life of God, you're in sync with, with, with Christ. You're in sync with his spirit and his mission. You're in sync with what he's doing, his kingdom, the grand narrative of Scripture. And the only recourse for walking in the futility of your mind is to abandon trust in your own logic and pray for a renewed mind and a renewed spirit to be in sync with the life and mind of God, not just what makes sense to you. We see Paul, Paul back in the book of Acts. You see where he starts this church and he plants it. He has such a, a relationship with this Ephesian church here. He he raises up and he 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 raises up elders to lead the church. And this is one time in Acts where, where Paul realizes that. He's not going to end up seeing them again. So he arranges a meeting with the elders and let them know, listen, the Holy Spirit that showed me, like, I'm not going to see y'all again. Like, I'm just going to have to pastor you from afar. And, and, and they are so broken at the reality that they're not going to see him again. And they just sit there and they just weep. This just shows how much this church means to them and, and the elders that he spent the time raising up. And now as the founding pastor, he he writes to them to disciple them, to disciple this church. And, and he's talking to them regarding walking in the futility of your mind. And he says in verses 20 and 21, but that is not the way you've learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. You see, he wasn't there, but he knew the gospel that the spirit had deposited into the elders through him. And if they was hanging out with them inside of that church, then he knew that they have heard the gospel. And as a pastor, I think the same way. I know the the deposit that the Spirit of God has made made here. I see it. What the what God is doing and, and and any church that authentically is is, is centered around the gospel I know what I know if you listening to songs that have been intentionally chosen because of the gospel going to community groups that fellowship around that very same gospel going to classes that centered around the gospel kids church that is intentionally choosing curriculums centered around the gospel songs centered around the gospel activities centered around a gospel, two pastors that submit to one another and to the rest of the elder team to make sure that what we're preaching is the gospel. If you have been actively going here for any small portion of time, like Paul, I can assume that you have heard the gospel. And he's saying, if you have heard the gospel, you are now accountable to be intentional with it. If you heard it, and I'm assuming you've heard it, you are accountable to do something with it. James 1 and 22 echoes the same thing, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then he says, You're only deceiving yourselves. You ain't fooling nobody else. Listen, if you think, if you think just sitting under the gospel message, reading deep books and and having conversations. Do you think these things causes you to be formed in the gospel? You are deceiving yourself. Listen, let me make it plain. The gospel message informs you of the gospel, but intentionally living into the gospel is what forms you. Hearing it informs you. Living into it forms you. See, there's a lot of us that are informed by the gospel, but formed by cultural idols. Informed by the gospel, but formed by whatever political group you you affirm with. Informed by the gospel, but formed by something else. Why? Because we don't come out of our comfort zones and actually practice the gospel that we've heard. There's certain things that you only learn by actually living into it when the tensions hit you in that particular way. And the way that God has made you, formed you, hardwired you, the specific groups of gifting that you have and the weaknesses that you have. And in that moment, that's where you learn the gospel and it forms you. Something that somebody else couldn't write about that didn't know all of your weaknesses and all of your strengths. But God doesn't allow specific things that hit you along the way, specifically for your forming. But you avoid them because you don't live into things. You just listen to it and read about it. So you have to be intentional. Intentional. So we start this, this things off, and he says, you have to be intentional with You get putting off the old, man, and putting on the new. You have to be intentional with this, right? You can't just place the new on top of the old. That won't work. You have to die to one and live to the other. Like, you can't just add healthy food to an unhealthy diet, like, I'm gonna start eating broccoli. That's not how this thing works. You have to actually stop eating the unhealthy food. That's where I tap myself, Wayne. Listen. If you have cultural idols, whether those idols be political, ethnic, gender, class, whatever it is, you can't just add the gospel to your steady diet of cultural idolatry. You have to stop. Feasting on those idols. You can't just add the gospel without reframing from feeding your personal idols. And expect to get to a place of true spiritual health. That's not how this works. You have to be intentional. with putting off the old man. He doesn't, just, he doesn't just leave because he realizes he's unwelcomed. Like, oh man, he's reading now. And he's heard that message, let me pack my bags and go. That's not how this goes. You have to be intentional with putting off the old self. Because when you're not, all he does is he hides and he waits until the right opportunity to gratify himself. You have to start literally thinking about how I'm being intentional to put off this old man and how I'm being intentional to put on the new verses 22, in verse 22, he talks about this old man, this old self. And he describes it to them so that they understand. He says, man, this old self, it belongs to the former manner of life. It's corrupt through deceitful desires. And then in 24, he talks about the new self. He said, this new self That's the one that's created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was to give you access to that new self. So that you would not be alienated from the life of God. Everything that he does is intentional. And when he invites us into his, his kingdom, he invites us into a life of intentionality. So as we get ready for communion today, I want to remind you that the Lord was intentional when he says, man, as often you come together, remember me. Remember these things. Remember, I was intentional. Here's the bread that represents my body that's given for you. Here's the cup, the juice it represents my blood that, that flows for you. Intentionally knowing every single kind of person that will ever put that bread in that cup to their mouths, and that it was connected as family. I want to encourage you to pray today. Before you come onto the tables, pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit will show you areas of your life where you have been walking in the futility of your mind and ask the Holy Spirit to renew your mind and allow you to be in sync with His. Pray that the Holy Spirit will show specific aspects of your old self that you need to be intentional to put off and what it looks like to put on the new you. Pray, how does all this look apply to my life in my family, in my marriage, with my kids, with my parents, with the community of people that God has called me to be on mission with, what this intentionality looks like. That being said, the tables are open. Let's pray together. Let's break bread together. And let's worship our great king together. He's good. The tables are open.